Welcome to Making Great Men Podcast. This is your host, Papa G. So good to have you joining me on this episode today. Welcome back. Uh, It's been a few weeks since I've uh, released an episode, uh, but that's part of the reason why we're going to be chatting today. Uh, But before we get in there, let me just say once again, thank you to all those who have uh, sent messages and and, uh, given me all of their great feedback and asked some questions and also given me some topics to talk about over the coming weeks. I'm looking forward to doing that. So I really appreciate you doing that. But uh, today uh, I wanted to speak on something that's a little bit more personal. Uh, that's happened to me and my family over the last few weeks. And uh, I think it's going to be pertinent for us as men and as families to hear uh, what I have to share today. So let me start off by asking this question, gentlemen. Have you ever had a moment or some days or a season in your life where something has happened and it stops you in your tracks? You know, causes you to question your priorities an event that makes you think more deeply about your life and those you love. For instance, a funeral of a loved one or a car accident that you've been in where you barely walk away. You know, it's those times in our lives where we can um, reassess what's happening in our lives. We can, it, it stops, it stops us. It makes us Look again, Take have a double take, maybe even a triple take of what's actually important to us and what's going on and how do I think about things and why do I feel this way about certain things, uh, especially when you're sitting there at the funeral of a loved one and, and starting to, to contemplate your life a little deeper. Well, I had one of those moments, me and my, my family, uh, over the last two weeks, which is part of the reason why I was not able to do a episode in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I needed to be with the family, um, and in particular with my father. Hence the reason the title of the of today's show is called The ICU. Uh, the I- ICU in Australia means intensive care unit, which is a very, very serious place where people go um, to try to save their lives. They're at death's door. And the ICU is a place where uh, they're looked after incredibly well. And uh, we live in a nation in Australia where it is just amazing what happens in an ICU. But this particular moment involved someone I love dearly, my father. My father is, uh, is a great man. My father uh, is a 75-year-old man who was born and bred in Syria in the Middle East. He moved to Australia in the early 70s. He met and married my mum in 1973, and I was born as the firstborn son in 1974. And uh, and so uh, out pops Papa G. I was not referred to as Papa G, of course, by them <laughs> then. And, uh, and uh, they raised me uh, incredibly well. Uh, my father is a very active man, a very cheeky man, actually. You know, he's the type of guy who, even now at 75 years old, he can build you a back deck in a weekend. He's that sort of a guy. Go, go, go. Old school values. One of those old, um, you know, workers. Work to the bone. Make it happen. Don't don't stop until you make it happen. Type guy. Uh, but when I was growing up, he was very stern and he had very strict rules in the house. It was m- myself, my two sisters, and my younger brother. And uh, but we were raised well. 
We were raised on how to respect other people, how to respect other people's things, how to respect authority, how to have respect for our elders and our and our parents, um, how to value what we have, how to work hard to earn what we've got. Uh, so we were raised that well. It doesn't mean they weren't without uh, fault. My goodness, I'm a parent of five children. <laughs> I've had many faults, as many of you have that have got children. You know, you can sit back and think and go, my goodness. Oh, stuffed up on the first two, maybe the next three were okay. <laughs> um, but my father is uh, is a, is a really really good man now. As a grandfather, he's soft and caring with the grandkids, and he loves to play with them. It's I'm looking at him thinking, who is this man? Who is he? But I can assure you that he still has the I will mess you up look in his eyes if we step out of line. <laughs> I'm in my late 40s and I still sort of look at him uh, in that way. But, uh, but jokes aside, I have a lot of respect for him. I love this man. All of us kids do. We love him dearly. But two weeks ago, I found myself on a plane heading down to another state where he lives I was rushing to be by my father's bedside in the ICU in this intensive care unit. My father, that day, was having a minor routine operation that suddenly turned into a major drama due to complications during surgery. One of his arteries was perforated and he'd lost almost two litres of blood before they realised what had happened. Now, when I say two liters of blood, that may not mean much to many people, but when you consider that on average, a person has five liters of blood, and if you lose over two liters, you are now knocking on, on death's door. As a matter of fact, in most cases, you can't survive losing more than 40% of your blood. So he'd lost almost two liters, and they know this because they had to put all this blood back in and they kept putting it in. Um, during surgery. He'd been bleeding for almost an hour, apparently, before they realized what was happening during the operation. Now, this resulted, this resulted in my father going to a critical and prolonged drop in blood pressure and heart rate, of course. Uh, he had to be put into medically induced coma. Uh, they, had, they had drips going straight into his heart with medication to keep his blood pressure up to force his heart to beat harder in order to keep that blood pressure going through his body. Um, he had breathing tubes because he couldn't breathe on his own. There was multiple sedation and serious painkiller drugs being pumped into him, multiple tubes and needles in him. And he was sitting, he was lying there uh, unconscious for, I think it was three days, three days unconscious. We did not know me, my siblings, and my mother, and our extended family, whether he would pull through, and if he did, what he would be like. Questions we, we were asking that no one could answer. Did his brain get enough blood or oxygen during that time where he had the blood loss? Was it severely affected? Will he wake up paralyzed? Will he ever wake up at all? What are the permanent effects of what happened? And, and if you've been through something like this, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about with those questions. Eventually, after about three days, he did wake up, and, but he was in a lot of pain. He was extremely delirious, suffering from a condition called delirium, actually, um, which is a serious disturbance of the mental abilities of a patient that is, results in this mass confusion in thinking, 
reduced awareness of his surroundings. He was disorientated. He had a deep distrust for anyone unfamiliar. Uh, Dad thought on a number of occasions that the occasions that the nurses were trying to kill him uh, when they tried to give him medication. Uh, he started to see his deceased family members. <laughs> As a matter of fact, he started to see farm animals in the ICU. <laughs> he asked me at one stage, what's that cow doing over there? And so you just have to go with it. What, what color is the cow? Black. Oh, okay, cool. Well, I don't know what's doing there, Dad. Um, and so this delirium, and, and I didn't even know this thing existed until the doctor started telling us about it. Uh, but it's apparently common for those who, who get older who are in, put into uh, under some major medications or induced a coma. And, um, and when they come to, they need something familiar around them. So, uh, so he was suffering through all of that. Now, once he got a little stronger, uh, they moved him into a ward to be looked after there. I made sure he was okay. It had been there for about five days. And so I flew back home. Uh, but about a day and a half, two days later, I was, I was called again by my brother and I flew back to where they live dad had crashed again but this time it was because he developed some serious chest infection and various other infections which i won't go into today he was bad we were back beside his bed again today though thankfully due to some amazing people and due to many answered prayers my father is back home he's stronger and getting better each day without any delirium which has been amazing, and no permanent effects from the complications. So we are very, very thankful to all those who supported, who prayed, and thank God for his uh, for his complete recovery. But what I wanted to highlight is not just to tell you that story for the sake of it, so you feel sorry for us and the family by any stretch of the imagination. I wanted to concentrate on my time, the five days that I was in, in ICU, um, for five days, almost 10 hours a day by his bedside or out in the waiting theater while someone else, one of the other siblings or or cousins went in to see him because it was, we were only allowed two people at a time in the ICU beside his bed. But for 10 hours, pretty much, we sat there for five days and I saw some incredible things. And so let me let me paint the picture of what I, what the surroundings I was in for those five days. Uh, and also, you know, to, to, so you understand what was happening for those who have never been in an ICU, I'd never been in one previous to that. So it was the first time I'd had any length of time in an ICU to see the operation of what was going on. And then I want to talk through the four major things that I learned while I was there. Um, but let me paint this picture. This particular ICU uh, in this beautiful hospital, modern hospital, had only just been revamped, had, um, had seven people in this room. This really large room all had their own section, just with curtains separating them. Uh, these seven people, there was at minimum 14 nurses that I saw walking around. Let's say in their section, there was one nurse per bed plus several other nurses walking around to assist. Um, now, each one of them had a computer monitor that was, uh, each one of these nurses had a computer monitor, a computer system on a movable table, and that was literally sitting at the uh, bed end of each bed. So my father had one with, the, with a nurse there, and he was looked after 24-7. Uh, that's because every single person in this room, this particular ward of the ICU, was in a serious condition. There were three older people 
um, struggling with their own conditions. There was a middle-aged man who had a clot in the brain and had a serious stroke, and so he was in, in induced a coma for at least eight or nine days, um, and so obviously three or four before we got there. There was another middle-aged woman with a serious condition in that room. Uh, while we were there, a 16-year-old boy unfortunately, unfortunately tried to commit suicide, and his family found him. And uh, they brought him into the hospital. They called the ambulance, but he was non-responsive and he was on machine keeping him alive. Uh, some some people in that room were on breathing tubes, like my father was initially. Most were most were had serious medical equipment around them, uh, but all of them had one thing in common: they were clinging to life. And look, men, I wanted to let you know of the of what I learned in those five days. What I saw and what I realized that, you know, as I said when I opened up the podcast, what I realized is important about life, but also um, the things that we can so easily miss in our day-to-day life. So let me share with you what I learned. There's only four quick lessons that I wanted to share with you today. Number one, human pain is traumatic. I know it seems obvious, but hear me out here. What I saw were families highly distressed. Everyone in that room was feeling helpless. We were all at the mercy of the doctors and the nurses. There were not too many answers for the questions of why or what next. Often, throughout those 10 hours each day, I would hear what I would describe as shielded crying, people crying for their loved ones, but trying to be respectful or trying not to be heard. At other times, there was full-blown wailing, especially when that young boy was brought in. That was heartbreaking to watch, his family. Ah, those faces. I will not forget the faces that I saw in that ICU. You know, I, I realized that not one of us in this room knew each other. Not one family had crossed paths in any other way, shape or form in our lives. Yet, we now found ourselves in the same room at the same moment, going through the same experience with a loved one who was on the brink of death. It was captivating, if I could use that word, because when you stop to think about it, We never saw those people previous and probably will never see those people again. However, in that moment, we were all there for each other. The nods, the words of encouragement, passing in the hallway. If someone needed help, another person from another family would go and help. It was was incredible to see. And that leads me to say this. Men... I know I've done an episode on this, but it is okay to be vulnerable, and we've spoken about it, but to let yourself feel the pain of life and to share that with someone, because human pain is traumatic. Having the ability to share your pain with a loved one is an important trait to have. When we don't share that pain, men, that pain turns into, most of the time, anger. Or that pain turns into depression. Or that pain turns into anxiety. 
And then as men, because we don't know how to share it, what ends up happening is we turn to drugs or we turn to alcohol or we turn to gambling or we turn to affairs or we turn to um, wasting our lives looking at a screen. And so men, you need to recognize that if there's pain in your life, you have to share that with someone. Share that with a loved one. Maybe you need professional help to share that with. Take your loved one with you. I think it's important. I know it's important. Pain shouldn't just be kept inside because it's traumatic and it needs to be dealt with. So that's the point number one. Human pain is traumatic. But that leads me to point number two. Human kindness is powerful. It's incredible what I witnessed over those five days. Incredible what I witnessed. Nurses, honestly, they are astonishing people. Incredible in their care. It takes a special type of person to do what I saw these people do. I saw them run when they needed to. I saw them have the smallest of breaks. I saw them actually apologize for having a break to their patients. I'm really sorry. I just, I'm just going to have a half an hour quick um, lunch break and I'll be straight back. Uh, it's not like their station was left unattended. Someone was there, but they were apologetic because they, they made a connection with their patients. Even when dad was getting very spiky attitude due, due to his delirium, uh, they cared for him. They understood they tried and they tried. I'm pretty sure at one stage my father tried to hit one of the uh, the nurses because he thought she was trying to inject him with something to kill him because of the delirium. And she, she acted appropriately and did what she needed to do, but there was no ill will. There was no hard feelings. She didn't take it personally. Goodness. The way they spoke to people, the way they handled needles, the way they handled the tubing, the way they, they did the medication and the way they handled managed pain, it was amazing. I watched them for hours on end as I sat near my father's bedside. You know, I had a thought while I was there, and I'd heard this statement before, but I, I witnessed it in such a beautiful way in the ICU. It was this. Human suffering is one of the only canvases that allows the deepest of human kindness and compassion to be displayed. Let me say that again. Human suffering is one of the only canvases that allows the deepest of human kindness and compassion to be on full display. Not that, we, not that we aim for human suffering, but it does happen. And it's in those moments you see the deepest of human kindness towards others. It is actually honestly humbling to behold the beauty in the pain, the compassion within that trauma, the selflessness during times of helplessness of these families. Human kindness is powerful. This is why it's in one of the ingredients that I have as being a great man, because kindness is powerful, and I say that in, the, um, in that second episode. But what I witnessed over those five days just took it to another level, the kindness that I saw the families towards their loved one. Because you know what? No arguments that they'd ever had, no points of difference, no lifestyle difference, no past uh, that might be prickly between his family members mattered in that moment. It did not matter. 
I was not under any any illusion that every single one of these families loved each other perf- um, um, without impact or without any previous arguments or anything like that. Not at all. Obviously, there, there would have been families of families. That's what happens. But none of that mattered. No one cared. Everyone was there for that moment to stand together. And, you know, when my father came to and he was able to, dis- to discuss what was happening in his mind and he was able to... Um, he was able to let us know how he felt. One of the first things he said to me was he grabbed my hand. And uh, I'm talking this is a man who was in the army. This is a man who was quite strict. This is a man who doesn't easily show his emotions, right? He grabbed my hand and with tears rolling down his face, he said to me, Dad, he calls me Dad. This is what the Arabs do. A dad calls his son Dad and mom calls his, his their mom. Anyway, he said, Dad... With tears rolling down his face. Dad, I am so moved by how all of you stood together for me. I am so moved by your kindness and I'm so moved that you came down from your home to be with me, that my other children just dropped everything to be with me and you did not know how long you were going to do that for. I am so moved by that and I'm so thankful for that thank you so much now my father knows he doesn't need to say that he knows he doesn't need to say that he knows that we would do that anyway because he's our father he's raised us right we know this but he said it because in that moment he knew how powerful kindness was and so this so did I very very clearly the third lesson that I learned during that time in the ICU is Life is very short, gentlemen. Life is very short. I can guarantee you one thing. Everyone in that room knew the fleeting nature of life. Every single one of them. We're like a vapor. Literally like a vapor. Here one minute, gone the next. No one in that room thought that life, that, that, that any, any of our lives are invincible. No one. All of us saw that fleeting nature of life. That time is limited, which gives life its beauty and its mystery. It makes time more precious because we know that one day it will be gone. So gentlemen, I want you to consider time. I want you to consider this, that time is something that does not stop. You can't get it back. You can't buy more. You can't make it, you can't deal it, you can't do anything like that. So making the most of the time you have is extremely important, extremely important. What is that? What am I saying? I'm saying this. Use that time to tell those you love that you actually love them. Say the words. If it's not something you actually say often, say it to them often. Make it a habit. Make it part of your vernacular. Uh, Pick a time of the day. Love you. I just want you to know that I love you. Don't just say it once and think, oh, they know. No, 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 no. Repeat it. They're worth it. Hold people you love close when you can. Think about chasing a dream. Let go of the past. For goodness sake, let go of the past. Look into your future. Think about now. All you have is now. But let go of that past. For goodness sake. Time. You don't have a lot of time on this planet, it could be taken at any moment, at any moment, it could be taken, gone. During that time, 
Why don't you make that decision you know you need to make? You know, the one that you've been putting off for years in order to change your life for the better. Make that one. Make that decision. Don't put it off any longer. Make it so your life can become better and go towards a, a better down a better road. Get healthy. Eat better. Here's a good one. Find God. For God's sake. Actually, for your sake. Develop a, a hobby. Do something you've been wanting to do for many, many years, but were too lazy to do it. Time is very short. Be courageous. Life is very short, gentlemen. Do not waste it. It's not something you can get more of. Do not waste it. The Bible tells us that our days are numbered on this planet. You can't get any extra. They're numbered. We don't know what they are, which again makes life beautiful and mysterious. But life is short. Be courageous. Do something with the time you've got. And that leads me to my final point of what I noticed. Now, some of you may disagree with this, but I don't want you to turn off this podcast yet. So I just want you to keep listening for a few more moments when I say this. Number four lesson is the divine is real. Now, what I saw in that room was I saw people who had never prayed before in their lives crying out to a being they didn't believe existed only hours or days earlier. Why? Was it because someone preached a message to them? No, not, not that reason. It was because they hoped that there was a higher being that could supersede the situation. They hoped, they had hope. They needed something to be there. There was an inherent feeling. There was a turning towards something bigger than themselves. And the reason why they did that, I believe, is because we are designed that way. The divine is real to, to many millions and hundreds of millions of people, billions around the world. God is real. As a matter of fact, like most of us, I had to do some serious mental gymnastics to believe that there was no God. Serious mental gymnastics. I had to ignore the intricate and finely tuned nature of the universe. I had to ignore the incredible molecular machinery that's within our cells. If you don't believe me, just Google molecular machinery uh, inside your cells to see what actually happens inside your body. They're called molecular machinery for a reason. Uh, I had to... I had to ignore the ridiculously unfathomable functions of the atoms that are within our body and, in, and inside every single thing makes up the whole of the universe and how that works. Uh, all of those evidences for the divine is everywhere. I had to ignore all of that. But then when I started to contemplate it, I thought, no, no, this is, this is not by chance. This, it's too finely tuned. It's too designed for it to be a, a happenstance. But in addition, I saw the divine in the nurses. I saw the divine in the doctors. I saw the divine in the pain, and I saw it in the triumph. I saw the divine happening at different moments throughout those five days. Men, let me tell you, I'm not going to harp on it for too long. You may say, George, I don't believe in God. I don't want to believe in anything divine. That's not a problem. That's up to you. And I hope to God you don't find you or your loved one in the ICU. I really hope to God. I pray to the God of the universe 
that you do not go through this. But trust me when I say to you that what I witnessed with my own eyes was the divine happening in that room. That doesn't mean there was no pain or trauma. But through the midst of that pain and that trauma, the divine was there with each of those people because they were crying out to the divine. So there's four points. Human pain is traumatic. Human kindness is powerful. Life is very short. And the divine is real. As I reflect on those lessons learnt while I sat in the ICU for those 10 hours a day, five days for those, for those five days, I asked the question, why can't this sort of behavior and compassion exist outside the ICU? What, what, why can't we see this often outside the ICU? And, and to be honest with you, I, I think it does exist to an extent. Not as concentrated as the ICU, but I see, I, I see it on, on you know, fleeting occasions, kindness happening between humans. If someone gets hurt, people run to their aid, uh, towards family members, towards loved ones, towards work colleagues, towards strangers on the street. I see it. But I think, I think it can be done a lot more. As a matter of fact, I imagine what the world would be like if there was more people who learnt lessons like human pain's traumatic, kindness is powerful, life is short, the divine is real. If we learnt those things, what would the world be like? But you see, in order for this sort of behavior to be out in the world every day, it takes intention and awareness and selflessness. <laughs> intention, awareness, and selflessness. Unfortunately, those things get outrun by busyness, worry, and you guessed it, selfishness. Busyness, worry, and selfishness. And so I've been challenged so much in those two weeks that I was down with the family. I was challenged so much, challenged to be more aware in my life. And I generally like to be aware. Uh, Self-awareness and emotional intelligence are very high values for me. And so I, I, I've tried to develop them and continue to do that on a daily and weekly basis to ensure, I often ask myself, okay, what could I have done better today? How could I have done this better? You know, it's part of the awareness thing. But I was challenged by what I saw to be more aware, to be more intentional, and to be less selfish. And I don't think that these challenges will ever go away. I think it's part of what happens as humans is that busyness outruns or overruns everything, and the worry and concerns of life and the selfishness takes over. So I was challenged to be more intentional, to be less selfish, and to be more aware of what's happening to others and in their lives. You know, um, I sat there in, in one of the cafes at the uh, hospital, and I saw people coming and going. And obviously you're in a hospital. There's some amazing, there'd be some incredibly sad stories happening, but these people would come, they'd order their coffees or they'd order their sandwiches and they'd sit down and they'd be on their phone or they'd talk to their friend or their relative who's with them. And, and I would think to myself, I wonder what that person's story is right now. They're smiling, but they're probably brokenhearted. They're probably concerned. They've got a loved one. They've just come down for a break before they go back and be by that person's bedside. What is their story? What are they feeling? If we asked that more often, we'd, we'd probably have more intention and less selfishness happening around us. So I hope that from this episode that you will allow yourself to be challenged to be more aware, intentional, and far less selfish than you have been in the past. Because if we allow them to, 
Life's traumatic experiences can realign our priorities and remind us of what the main thing is in our lives. They really can. However, like I said earlier, I pray that we don't wait for our own personal traumas in order to change, but rather we learn from others' experiences. And so I urge you, maybe sometime today, maybe sometime on the weekend, why don't you do these three things? You stop, you reflect, and you adjust. You just stop. Put your phone aside, put it away from you, turn off all distractions. If you need to have some music playing in the background, some instrumental, whatever it is, uh, then have that playing in the background. Just stop for a moment. Reflect on your life. Reflect on what's important, what your values are, where business has crept in. Um, Realign your thoughts. If you need to and it helps you, imagine you lose a loved one. What would you do different in your life if you lost a loved one, a very close loved one to you suddenly? What would you do different? How would you change your life? How would you behave differently towards your family or to, towards others, your work colleagues? What would be priority to you? So reflect and then adjust what you can. Stop, reflect and adjust what you can. It may take months, weeks, years to get some major adjustments in your life. Maybe sometimes it can happen quickly that day. You know what? I'm going to stop doing that now or I'm going to start doing this thing now and you start it that day. I'm going to develop better. I'm going to say I love you to my loved ones every day and it may feel awkward the first week every day that I do it and then I say, why are you saying that, Dad? Why are you saying that? Why are you saying that, honey? Why are you saying I love you? I mean, don't stop. I like it. Um, But why are you saying it? Because I've realized that I haven't been saying it and I do love you and I want you to know it. That's all it is. Um, Stop, reflect, adjust. Those things are very important. But let me say those four lessons again for one last time. Human pain is traumatic. Human kindness is powerful. Life is short. The divine is real. Take stock of your life, gentlemen. Stop, reflect, adjust. Let's get this going. You can be better every day, every day, every day, little bit by little bit. It's those small percentages, those 1% changes every day, every week that by the end of the year, by the end of next year, you'll be a totally different person, stronger, better, uh, smarter, more compassionate, more loving, kinder, chivalrous, character, because you did 1% tiny little changes throughout the course of these next 12 to 18 to 24 months. Well, gentlemen, thank you for for listening to this story and listening to the things I learned over those last a few weeks. I'm very thankful for those who walked with my family on this journey. I appreciate your prayers and your time and your support. And uh, Dad, this is dedicated to you. I love you. I'm so thankful to God that you are alive and well and cheeky (laughs) and cracking jokes. I FaceTimed you before I did this episode and it was wonderful to to see you up and smiling and talking and, uh, and cracking some jokes with me. So uh, to my mum, I love you. To my brother and my two sisters, you are amazing. And I absolutely adore you guys. Have a great day, gentlemen. Enjoy the rest of your week. And I'll see you in the next episode.